Hello, and welcome to Scare You to Sleep. I'm your host, Shelby Scott. Our first story of the evening is Wicked Walter by author Jay Adair. I gaze at my shiny new name tag one last time before clipping it onto my jet black vest. Andrew, tour guide, Zane's House of Haunted Art. What a perfect way to spend the summer. While my college buddies are busy slinging burgers or assembling car parts, I'll be thrilling guests with macabre tales of unexplainable hauntings. Flicking on a handful of lights, I stroll leisurely around the main foyer. Management has shown a lot of trust in me already, handing me a set of keys to the building right as I completed my new hire paperwork. The museum catered to the late-night crowd and was open from 3 p.m. until midnight, so I had turned up bright and early at 1.30 p.m. on my first day to walk through the museum and practice my material one last time before the tour started for real. I moved from the foyer into the museum itself. Low ceilings and minimal lighting, except to highlight the art pieces themselves, produced a feeling of claustrophobia for the customers. I turned the museum stereo on, activating the dark, ambient soundtrack that added that extra creepy touch. The muffled sounds of low, distant thunder and whistling wind drift through the crackling speakers. Nostalgic memories of many visits to the museum as a guest flow into my brain. Having rehearsed the presentation for the first two exhibits countless times in my room, I stride past them without stopping to repeat my spiel out loud. Knowing this was where I would make my big first impression, I had focused on them quite a bit. I simply recount the stories in my head one last time. The Devil's Record, a rock music record from the 1960s, when played backwards, a deep voice can clearly be heard chanting satanic verses. Stranger still is that despite the record being mass-produced, no similar devilish audio oddities could be found on any of the other vinyl records of the same album. The Malevolent Movie, an old 10-minute short film on VHS tape that was found in an attic. The film was labeled A Malevolent Shadow and appeared to be a found footage film about a group of hikers running from a large ghostly presence resembling a spider. The images are absolutely haunting, appear to be untouched by computer graphics, and... No other film like it has ever been located. I know these stories are far-fetched, but I absolutely adore them. My combination of tentative belief and healthy skepticism is probably what got me the job in the first place. I don't fear these pieces, but I respect them. That is, until it comes to talk about the third piece in the museum, Wicked Walter. I hold such reverence for the history of the other pieces, this one, in my humble opinion, just just doesn't belong. The actual name of the piece is Walter the Warrior. The main focus of the painting is, of course, Walter, a tall, slender man in a black overcoat. Walter stands facing his audience, but gazing above and beyond them, focused on whatever is off in his distance. His large left boot perches on an oval-shaped rock jutting out of the grass, overcoat flying backwards in what looks to be a mighty wind. The muted grays and browns inspire a feeling of melancholy, and the distant skies are dark and foreboding, 
as if the artist creating the picture was able to pack up his canvas and easel just minutes before the painting was destroyed by heavy rainfall. That is under the assumption that this painting is of an actual scene, and Walter was, in fact, a real man living in 1905 when the painting was created. The original artist never provided any information on the subject matter of the painting. I couldn't imagine Walter not being a real man. His hollow cheeks, coarse brown hair, and piercing green eyes looked all too authentic. That look on his face, that sinister grin, as if he was watching the world burn and relishing in it. It was unsettling. Not unsettling enough, however, for me to believe that the painting belonged in these prestigious halls. Nevertheless, I was obligated to educate my audience on each haunted piece of art, regardless of my personal feelings. I straighten my back and clear my throat. Hands clasped behind me, I pace back and forth before the painting, putting on my best Rod Serling Twilight Zone voice. A painting can be a window into another world. When we view a great piece of art, it can unshackle our imagination, cause it to run wild. It can even cause the lines between reality and fiction to blur. I raise a hand towards the painting for my imaginary audience. The artist of this painting, Jean-Luc Bocage, was overcome by his work. Unable to sell Wicked Walter because the public found it too unsettling, Bocage hung the painting in his underground art studio. A week after hanging the painting, he was found dead a knife through his heart. He left a suicide note with little details aside from a claim that, while he worked on his other paintings, an apparently jealous Walter came alive within the painting and threatened to kill Bocage if he continued to focus on other works. Bocage didn't let Walter get to him. He did the job himself. My lips twist into a sinister smile. I can actually look quite evil when I want to. Frankly, this even surprised me. The painting sat in storage for years after the artist's untimely demise, I continue. Almost 60 years later, it landed in the hands of a farmer and his wife. After a few months without incident, the couple began hearing strange noises in the night coming from their family room, the location where the painting hung. Upon investigating, they found picture frames seemingly flung to the ground and items from their china cabinets smashed. After relaying the stories of these nighttime mysteries to a friend who knew some history of the painting, the farmer was told of Walter's devious history. With this knowledge, the farmer promptly removed Walter from his home, convinced that Walter had grown tired of the boring rural location. He felt that Walter was trying to display his displeasure. I straightened my vest meticulously. This meant more years in storage for poor Walter, I say with a frown. However, years later, he saw the light of day again, this time in a historical art museum. Again, however, Walter caused trouble. Each morning, the painting would be found in a new location in the museum, sometimes lying on the ground, sometimes in the place of another painting and once even hanging from the ceiling. Being that this museum was not a haunted art museum like the one you find yourselves in today, many regular customers were disturbed by this development and attendance suffered. Thus, Walter was again shipped out, 
before he ultimately landed here, earlier this year. I turn and stare at the painting during my finale. Some say that even gazing upon the painting evokes feelings of dread, and many have claimed to have had strange experiences with the painting over the years. Look upon it with caution. This was where I would normally end my talk on Wicked Walter. However, with no one around, I added my bonus spiel, one that will never be heard by any ears beyond my own. One mysterious painting, three mysterious events, so what is to be made of these wild stories? Is the painting truly haunted? Unfortunately, in this case, the truth is far more mundane. Three mysteries, three hoaxes, the painter driven insane by his own work, the unfortunate hallucinogenic side effects of inhaling too much toxic paint in an enclosed underground studio, the damage to the family farmhouse, nothing more than a barn cat who found its way in at night and was scrounging for scraps. But surely, when the painting moved to the museum at night, it was some ghostly presence. Unfortunately, nothing more than a bored security guard having a little fun with susceptible guests. Haunted art please. That a curator would spend a dime on something that has proven to be a sham is unfortunate and plant seeds of doubt regarding the authenticity of the story surrounding all of the other pieces in this museum. Pleased with my additional secret monologue, I move towards the next piece. A low, deep rumbling stops me dead in my tracks. Hello? I squeak. Another rumble. I slowly look over at Wicked Walter and see that the frame is shaking violently. Oh, God. Oh, no. Oh, no. I stutter, my eyes welling with tears. The imposing figure in the portrait moves. Walter actually kicks his foot forward off of the rock where it was perched and steps into my space. He peels the rest of himself away and hops down, landing on steady feet in front of me. I can only gawk as he puffs out from two-dimensional to three-dimensional, towering over me. I might as well be in his place in the frame. I'm paralyzed. He moves to within a few inches of my face. I can smell his sour breath. Proven to be a sham, huh? His voice is steady and deep. He sounds a lot like my father. Words don't even come close to my lips. Listen up, young man. I like this place, okay? If you start telling guests rubbish like what I just heard, I could get removed from a place like this. Who's interested in a fraudulent haunted painting? Was this some interactive exhibit that I knew nothing about? Or the lingering effects of a night spent partying too hard? I was out late last night. Walter's hand zips in and out of his overcoat, lightning fast, producing a knife. He pushes the tip to my throat. I feel the painful point on my Adam's apple. Do you really believe that all those stories were hoaxes? What kind of moron are you? He grits his teeth. 
I try to spit out an apology, but my throat is still unable to produce sound. Cat got your tongue, boy? He grabs my collar. I think I'll cut that tongue out myself if I hear garbage like that come out of your mouth again. He draws the point of the knife up within an inch of my eyeball. I finally have a good spot here, and I'm not gonna lose this. He spits. So I'm gonna climb back up into that painting. You're gonna straighten out my frame, and then you are going to revise that whole little speech you gave into something a lot more flattering. Got it? He slowly takes the knife away from my face, and I nod my head vigorously. His burning eyes remain locked on mine as he backs towards the frame from which he had peeled himself, slowly deflating back into a two-dimensional image with each step. He quickly turns and hops up into the frame. He props his foot back onto the rock, flings his coat back as if a gust of wind had just caught it, and lifts his chin proudly, staring into the distance. He freezes like that. Inching towards the frame, his eyes seem to follow my every shuffling step. I am terrified, but intent on following through with his instructions to straighten the frame out. I reach out, slowly, and... Andrew? (gasps) I shriek as a female voice literally makes me jump and almost knock the frame right off the wall. Spinning on my heels, I see Selena, another tour guide. You're not supposed to touch the paintings, you know. Her tone is condescending, but I am relieved that it's her and not another art piece come to life. It it was... it was crooked. Sorry, I mutter, voice quivering. (laughs) Don't worry, I won't tell. She chuckles, though her tone suggests that she would rat me out in a second, given the chance. She saunters over and stands beside me, regarding Walter. Creepy painting, huh? She says with a smile. I guess, I guess. I shrug, trying to act like my heart isn't about to explode out of my chest. Hey, they didn't add any, like, interactive exhibits over the winter, did they? Not that I know of, she replies and turns to me. I know this is supposed to be a hoax, but... Two of the other guides told me that they had weird experiences with it. I guess I'll just use the stock narration until I have my haunted encounter with Walter. (laughs) She laughs enthusiastically. I chuckle anxiously. (laughs) So, you have your narration for this one yet? She asks. Have you had your haunted encounter? I can't tell her what happened. That would sound crazy. She'd tell someone, and I'd be fired. Anyways, paintings can't come to life. Right? I must be hallucinating. Just like Walter's creator. I should probably see a doctor after my shift today. No. Nothing yet. Just a hoax, I guess. I avert my eyes from Walter as I lie. We both turn to walk back towards the entrance when I hear a familiar rumble behind me. I turn just in time to see the entire painting tumble from the wall and land on top of me, 
the enormous frame knocks me to the ground. Selena screeches and runs over to me. She pulls the painting off me while simultaneously scolding me. You shouldn't have touched the painting! You probably knocked it off its hooks! She barks. I drag myself up off the ground, pain radiating through my body. As Selena leans the painting against the wall, I glare at Walter. I guess he did expect me to relay my frightening encounter to Selena. Selena doesn't appear to notice, but as I look at the painting, I see that something is different. My eyes are drawn to a new color on the tapestry that was not there before. The rock that Walter's foot is perched upon now contains a small, bright red puddle. It seems that something is dripping down from Walter's overcoat. Then I feel it. Searing pain unlike anything I have ever felt before. I look down at my stomach and drop to my knees. Oh my god! Andrew! Selena yelps. She runs to me and throws her hand on top of mine as I struggle to put pressure on the massive wound in my stomach. The knife. He must have gotten me with the knife in his overcoat. As I slip to the ground and try to keep my eyes open, I am left observing Walter. His stoic face changes for just a moment. And I think I see him. Give me a wink. Our next author, Vanessa Kennedy, has been featured on the show before. You'll remember her very unique and very scary ghostly monologue. Today, she has for us, The Reuben. Jordan cursed as he realized he had gone the wrong way. He had missed his turn away back. Annoyingly, he glared at the glowing rectangle on his dash. The only instruction that it was showing was to complete a U-turn when it was safe to do so. Jordan fought the urge to throw the blasted thing right out the window. He had muted the obnoxious voice because he thought he knew the way, but it was quite apparent that he did not. Press outlined both sides of the road. The outstretched limbs created an interlocking canopy of shadow. As Jordan drove ahead, looking for a driveway or parking lot or something to turn around in, his music started to fade in and out and soon became static. At first, Jordan started to press the program channels on his radio, and when none of them resulted in music or a clear voice, he pressed seek. Numbers for unknown stations flew by as static filled the car. Then, Jordan's heart thudded as he thought he heard a voice through the cacophony of static. He cranked the volume dial to see if he could make out the voice again. In doing that, the static made his temples and eardrums pulse. Just as Jordan's fingers grazed the dial once more, he heard it again. Underneath the static, There it was. Help me. 
It was faint and muffled, but he could still distinctly hear those two words. Jordan shook his head. He was hearing things. It was late and he was tired. All he wanted was to turn around and be on his way. As Jordan made a turn in the road, a sign came into view, and it read, Motel Ahead. The thought of a bed made Jordan very happy. After a good night, or at least a moderate night's sleep, Jordan could be on his way once more. And maybe the motel might have a map, since his GPS wasn't any help. Jordan shot another glare at the unhelpful piece of technology that was still insisting on him doing a U-turn. Soon, the Reuben came into view. Its bright neon red sign flickered in the twilight. The flashing vacancy sign pulled Jordan closer, like a beacon. As Jordan pulled into a parking spot, a yawn engulfed his features. Exhaustion swept over Jordan like a typhoon. He dragged his sore, stiff legs out of his car and walked to the door. As the loud bell rang over his head, Jordan winced. It wasn't the sound itself, but it was the fear of waking up the other motel guests. In the time it took Jordan to walk across the nicely furnished lobby, an old man stood behind the desk. Wiry, wet white hair littered the man's head which was interrupted by purple and orange age spots that had spread down to his arms and hands. His eyes sat deep in his wrinkled face. He tapped the desk with prune-like wrinkled hands impatiently, with a painted snarl on his lips. "'Can I help you?' he asked with a snarl making Jordan gulp. Jordan asked for a room, instinctively pointing to the row of room keys." The man shuffled awkwardly and grabbed a random key. As he plucked a key, a stray cobweb came with it. That will be ninety dollars, he ordered, slamming the metal key onto the desk and pushing the guestbook towards Jordan. Jordan quickly signed what somewhat resembled his name and threw the remaining cash he had on the counter. At a glance, it looked to be ninety. It might have been a little more, but Jordan didn't care. He didn't even wait for a receipt. Jordan grabbed the key and threw a quiet thank you as he walked away. All he heard was a grunt in response. The brass numbers on the doors guided Jordan to his room. There was no way in hell that he was going back to the desk to ask where room 9 was. After catching his ragged breath, Jordan inspected his room, trying to calm his ragged nerves. Room 9 wasn't much, but it at least had a bed. Even if it was the hardest spot in the world, it was still a bed. Through the side window, Jordan could see the bright neon sign that had lured him in. Jordan walked over to the window to close the curtains, but to his surprise, he witnessed the neon sign flicker and change. Only three letters were lit up. It was a loud, red warning. Run, was all it said. Jordan shook his head and shut the curtains. As the warning registered in Jordan's brain, the sign flickered and returned to the Reuben. Jordan blinked and stared at the sign. It must have been a malfunction. His confusion was only deepened when a banging started. The walls started to vibrate with a loud rapping, banging noise. Even the floor started to dance from the sound. The floor panels started to separate. Like with the static in his car, 
Jordan's temples and eardrums started to throb. Oddly, the banging wasn't constant. There were pauses, but then it started up again. There was an urgency to it. Despite his better judgment, Jordan called the front desk. Soon, the familiar snarl came through the phone. Jordan reported the noise to only be told it was a convoy of trucks on the highway. Jordan frowned. A truck, or even a convoy of trucks, wouldn't sound like that. And it came from the walls themselves, not outside. Before Jordan could argue, the phone went dead. To Jordan's dismay, the banging continued. Jordan opened his door to the empty hallway, where the banging seemed to stop. Jordan sighed in relief as noiseless air filled his ears. Unfortunately, the hiatus was only temporary. The banging continued through the air vents along the hall. Jordan knelt beside one to have the noise intensify. The noise was coming from the basement. Somewhere there was a basement door, and somewhere was something in that basement making that banging noise. Determination grew inside Jordan as he crept back into the lobby. He was now less worried about the other guests and more worried about the desk clerk. Even in the lobby, the banging could be heard. Jordan couldn't understand how anyone could mistake that for passing trucks. On his hands and knees, he crawled into the lobby, weaving around the furniture. There were a few closed doors, going on a hunch that one of them led to the basement. Jordan started looking into the adjacent rooms. The first door was to a broom closet. The next was a bedroom. Snoring erupted from that room. Jordan assumed that the snoring figure was the desk clerk. As Jordan rounded the corner past the desk, his hand collided with the hidden hinge on the floor. Jordan instinctively covered his mouth to muffle a scream of pain. Even with his hand over his mouth, a sound escaped his lips. Before he could reprimand himself, he heard the scream of bending bed springs. With newfound motivation, Jordan hurriedly felt for his way out. Then it occurred to him, maybe the basement door wasn't a vertical door. Maybe it was a hatch in the floor. Jordan didn't know which was louder, the banging coming from the basement, the thuds from the desk clerk's feet, or his own heart. His fingers clawed at the floor, searching for a latch or a handle or an indication of an opening. Jordan's heart pounded in his chest cavity as his fingers found the handle. The relief was short-lived thanks to the approaching footsteps. The floorboard sent out a warning. Their cries were like a stampede of escaping animals. Quickly, Jordan yanked on the small handle that just fit his three middle fingers. The hinges turned slowly as the door was lifted away from the floor. But due to Jordan's position, the door was unable to lift more than a few inches. Without a constant strong upward force, the door played victim to gravity once more and returned to be flush with the floorboards. Jordan rotated his position and gave the door another yank. The door rose its few inches again and slowly kept rising. A black void loomed up at Jordan. It was better than the wrath of the disturbed desk clerk. After swallowing his courage, his pride, and his nerve, Jordan continued to lift the hatch and jumped into the void. For a mere second, time stopped. The drafty air in the void made Jordan's skin tingle. The act of falling aimlessly was almost numbing. All the fear and worry faded as he fell. 
Somewhere in his mind, he knew the feeling of weightlessness would end and the hard reality would be slammed against his body. As he fell, his muscles tensed, preparing themselves for a landing, almost like he could sense the floor before he could see it. A faint outline of concrete slabs came into view. Jordan closed his eyes for impact. Jordan let out a groan as he came to. Wincing, Jordan crawled out of his landing position. Luckily, his arms had got the brunt of his fall. The pain from his forearms made good proof of that. The banging was louder than it was in his room. Jordan stood up to inspect his wounds. Dirt crested the cuts on his arms. As he rose to stand, he felt pain in his knees. It was a safe assumption that his knees resembled his arms. Jordan looked up at the hatch and the distance he had fallen. Within the time it took him to fall and come to, the hatch had closed behind him. Luckily for Jordan it had, because he could hear the desk clerk's feet over his head. Dirt fell between the floorboards like a misty rain. The light from above came with the falling dirt, giving Jordan the ability to inspect his surroundings. If Jordan had had the time and more light, he would have noticed there had been a ladder. Jordan couldn't see much, but what he could make out were a few boxes filled with who knows what and an awkward leaning shelf. Limping, Jordan ascended into the basement. The rough wall grazed Jordan's fingertips as he followed it. The banging was louder and more urgent. Once again, Jordan's clumsiness was his downfall. Instead of his hand, it was now his foot. Jordan's toe collided with a hard vertical board. Jordan's balance wobbled and he was catapulted forward into his unruly attacker. It was soon discovered that his attacker was an abandoned dresser. Jordan winced as his ribs collided with the dresser top. Oddly, the dresser seemed to vibrate with the sounds of strange rapping. Limping further, Jordan tried to inspect the dresser. With the limited light available, Jordan used his other senses to navigate his way. The dresser wobbled under his weight, but it gave away from the wall. And as it did, the banging stopped. The dark basement became a tomb. Jordan was afraid to think, scared that even his thoughts weren't safe anymore. And that's when he heard it. Chains sliding against the floor. Jordan wasn't the only one down there. And now, he was trapped with whatever was down in that basement. author of the evening is Malcolm Johnson, who you'll remember from his gorgeous zombie noir called It's Only a Paper Moon. Tonight he has for us something very different, and it's called Sleeping. Something hummed in her ear and woke her. It felt like a bee in her eardrum. The cold November air chilled her limbs. Half of her, the half under the covers, was warm and cozy, while the other half that was exposed to the air in the room was numb to the bone. Bloody hell, she grumbled under her breath as she drew up the sheets and comforter to try to warm herself against the UK chill. The bee hummed again, 
and Carrie Post reached under her pillow and hunted for the source. She gripped the phone and dragged it to her ear, keeping her eyes clamped shut, and her head pounded. Hello? Her voice was a raspy growl. Hello, sunshine. You make it through the night? The voice was kind and concerned. Oh. Hi, love. Yeah, cold, but okay for now. I have to pee. Come with me. She crawled out of bed and stood up. Her head whirled and she dropped the phone, reaching out for the wall with a groan. The tiny bee noise hum was back, this time around her toes. She slowly bent her knees and reached down for the phone. You okay, Carrie? Carrie? Sorry. A a bit spinny. She stumbled to the bathroom, yanked her underwear down, and fell into the toilet. (laughs) I think I'm still drunk. Did we drink last night? The man on the phone laughed. (laughs) Did we drink? That's hilarious. You drank everyone under the table. I don't remember. She frowned. Not surprised. When I got you home, you told me to piss off when I tried to kiss you and you said you wanted me to leave. You said I was fake and a wanker. (laughs) He laughed, but it didn't seem earnest. Carrie grimaced, hearing her inner feelings spit back at her like this. She did think he was fake and a wanker. So sorry. She rubbed her head then got off the toilet slowly after taking care of things. Thank you for bringing me home. My pleasure, milady. I better go. Mom's ready for church. Another grimace. Uh, okay. Carrie rolled her eyes. Two things that made Carrie ill. Church and his mother. I'll check in with you later, bundle. Bye! His sing-song voice finally went away. Carrie hung up and dropped the phone to the sink top. She looked at herself in the mirror and felt sick. She opened her mouth and breathed through the nausea. Jesus. She clamped her eyes shut tight and willed the sick stomach away, spitting streams of drool into the sink. She glanced up into the mirror and stared into her eyes. No more drinking for you idiot. She spat into the sink. And no more Barry, his church, or his mother. Months slipped by. Slowly at first. Calmly, coldly. Seasons floated by. The small one-bedroom townhome was silent in the morning calm. The sun's light streamed in through the crack between the curtains, and chased the shadows out of the bedroom. Something clanked in the small, dark home. A sound of settling in the house, or the sleepy remains of a dream? Slowly, ever slowly, the woman in bed drifted up from her deep sleep. Darkness swam in Carrie's mind. She felt like she was rising out of a deep, dark hole. A void. Her eyes fluttered open as she heard another strange thumping sound. She slipped out of bed and did a circuit around her house to check things out. But nothing seemed out of the ordinary. 
The morning got out of control and she found herself running late for work. She tied her hair back, down the last of her lukewarm coffee, and rushed for the front door. She reached down for her keys, but saw that the small bowl she kept there for them was empty. She blinked and stared at the bowl blankly before breaking the spell by patting her pockets. Well, what the hell? She frowned and looked around on the floor by the table, then started making arcs around the house, searching the surfaces for the keys. Nothing. She got a sudden rush of panic and thought, Damn, I left them in the door, I bet. She raced for the front door and swung it open. No keys. For a moment she thought she left them in the car, but that made no sense. She wouldn't be able to get into the house if... Then she saw them, and she gasped. (gasps) There, to the right of the door, the keys hung on a small hook. It was a logical place for them. You'd see them as you walked out and could hang them right when you came in. However, she didn't put a hook there. Didn't put her keys there. She'd never seen it before in her life. Days passed, and with each passing day, more things seemed to move to shift. Glasses in the wrong cabinet, the TV remote in the kitchen, even her toothbrush left in a drawer instead of in the medicine cabinet. You're working too hard, not sleeping enough, you're fuzzy, she told herself these things, but didn't seem to believe them in her heart. Carrie Post rubbed at her eyes and slid her feet down towards the bottom of the bed with that sinking feeling in the pit of her stomach that she had grown far too used to over the past few months. The house didn't feel right to her. Not at all. She sat upright in bed and swept her long, brown hair from her face as she looked around the room. Her eyes drifted over the space, searching for signs like she had seen before. The signs had started out small, but were growing larger every night. Something was very wrong in her home. She pushed the covers off her body and slid her feet over the edge of the bed. She narrowed her eyes and scanned the bedroom carefully, but she saw nothing different. She pushed off the mattress, slipped her feet into slippers, and pulled her robe on. She moved into the living room, absently tying her robe. She still felt like she was in a daze. She gasped when she saw the empty beer bottle on the computer table in the corner of the room. Another bottle sat by the TV, next to a plate with a bit of toast on it. Tears filled her eyes as she slowly dropped to the cold wood floor and broke down in sharp sobs. She didn't keep beer in her home. She didn't even drink anymore, not since all this started. She reached out and grabbed the phone from its charger. She started to dial, then her hands froze. She grimaced and dropped the phone back into its cradle. She shook her head. Someone had been in her house again, and it scared her to death. The problem was that no one believed her. She had a hard time believing it herself. Friends gave her a wide range of advice, from calling the police and filing a report, to getting an alarm, to getting a dog. Nothing made the sick feeling in her stomach ease. Someone had been in her house smoking one evening. Three cigarettes lay snubbed out in a small bowl. 
Another evening, they were sending emails from her account to people she didn't even know, making plans to meet them at bars she never visited. Now, drinking not one, but a series of beers in her home, while she slept like a baby in the next room. What was next? This person obviously had free access to her locked home. What could they do to her while she slept? A shiver ran through her. She crawled up off the floor and fell onto the sofa. Tears streamed down her face. People she spoke to about the recent events looked to her with sad eyes and asked how an intruder could possibly enter her home when it was locked and chained. How they still managed to get in when the locks had been changed. They looked at her as if she were going mad or just seeking attention. It only got worse. Night fell, and Carrie found herself in bed fully clothed. She wasn't going to sleep. She didn't want to sleep anymore. She was crumbling. She dragged the comforter over her legs as the room grew colder. Darkness filled the space, but she was too tired to get up to turn on the light. Her phone lit her face as she scrolled through posts from friends. She smiled from time to time as photos of... Babies and dogs and meals drifted up and away as her thumb swept up and up and up again. The light from the device was so bright that the rest of the room was washed away in darkness. The void again. She pressed the phone to her chest when she thought she caught movement in the room. She blinked. Her eyes tried to adjust to the darkness. Nothing was there. She narrowed her eyes and went back to scrolling. Scrolling. She blinked, scrolling. Her mind started to drift. How old was Rob and Steph's baby now? Three? She blinked again, and her lids stayed closed a bit longer. No, that's not a person in the corner. It's just the chair with my dress on it. She blinked again, and her eyes stayed shut. That night... The prowler entered again. He fixed a meal and evidently watched a few movies, leaving the stack of Blu-rays by the TV for her to find. Carrie thought for a moment that this criminal had slipped something in her water, knocking her out somehow. There was no way she could have slept through all this. She vacillated between fear and anger as she smacked the stack of discs and sent them scattering to the floor. When she managed to make it out of the house to head for work, she found her car moved as well. Parked on the street and not in her driveway where she had left it when she returned from work the previous night. She wanted to be sick. She hugged herself tightly and pressed herself against the garage. Her eyes scanned her neighborhood and its once friendly presence now seemed to hide watchers in danger. She slipped back into her house and locked the door, deciding to take a sick day. She needed more rest. She slid a knife from the butcher block and checked the house, room to room, windows, doors, closets, even the small crawl space area in the hallway, bolted from her side. Nothing, everything was locked tight. She thought that maybe she was drugged. The feeling that washed over her was heavy and deep. Her eyelids fluttered as she stumbled towards the bed. She had to lie down. Sleeping this all away. 
She couldn't fight it even though the thought of someone still lurking in her home filled her thoughts as she drifted away into the shadows of sleep. She felt like she was drowning, slipping beneath waves and tied down in the deep, dark water where the sun didn't shine. When her eyes opened again, the room was completely dark. Carrie had no idea how long she had been asleep. She rose from the bed and fumbled for her clock. It read 5.30 a.m. She had slept for almost 16 hours. She coughed and stumbled from the bed, running her hand over her head. Shock hit her like ice water. Her hair... It was wrong. Her long brown hair was now short and slightly damp. She shrieked and ran to the bathroom. Her hand slammed into the switch. Light filled the restroom and illuminated her face in the mirror. Another scream caught in her throat as her eyes went wide and took in the new hairstyle. Cropped short and dyed black in a Euro style. Her hair had been cut, styled, and dyed black as she slept. She gagged and felt like she was going to be sick. Blackness swept in around her and her head spun. Her knees went weak and she fell onto the sink. Then onto the bathroom's tile flooring like a stone. Endless black. Deep dreaming. Light. Claire's eyes fluttered open and she felt around herself in a panic. She was covered with something, some sort of light sheet. Striking out with her hand, she shoved it up and off her head and bolted upright again. Daylight streamed in through the window and warmed her. Cool, fresh air came in through the open window before her and the smell of bacon and coffee filled her nostrils. Her heart raced. Fear flooded over. She took in her surroundings. All unfamiliar and strange to her, this wasn't her house. Not her bed. She started to cry. Choking back sobs, she stopped suddenly when she heard footsteps thumping over the carpet towards her. A man's voice called out softly from the other side of the door. Carrie? You okay? Blackness rushed in at Carrie. She didn't even feel her head hit the pillow. Blackness engulfed her for a long, long time. She felt like she was caught in some limbo. The void again, all half awake and drifting on a sea of darkness. Something filled her mind with sadness as a sudden dawning washed over her. This time, when her eyes opened, she wasn't scared or confused. She didn't feel as if she was being stalked, hunted. She believed she understood it all now, and the knowledge filled her with melancholy and sadness. She turned her head and stared at the sleeping man at her side, and the corners of her mouth turned down as tears filled her eyes yet again. Part of her knew him, wasn't scared of him. Yes, she understood it all now. Her head rolled to the right onto the soft surface of the pillow. She scanned the framed photos on the shelf by the bedroom's oak door. There was a photo of Carrie skiing, something which she had never learned to do. A photo of Carrie holding a smiling man's hand and dancing. It was the man sleeping next to her. She looked so happy and free in the photo. Even though the picture clearly was Carrie, 
She stared at the couple within the frame like they were both strangers. The last photo made Carrie's breath catch in her throat. Carrie was cradling a small child in her arms from a hospital bed and looking at it with love. The baby was so small and soft and fragile. The man next to her in bed was next to her in the photo, looking at Carrie and the baby with love and devotion. She pitied herself. How could this happen? Her life was no longer her own. She didn't even know herself anymore. She was a stranger in her own life, her own body. She felt herself slipping away again, but didn't fight it. Her new self seemed happier than she had ever been. She felt a tear slide down her cheek. Carrie Post rolled her head on her pillow and stared at the ceiling. She drew in a breath and blinked. So tired, she whispered before closing her eyes one last time. Thanks for listening. Remember, by supporting my sponsors and using my offer codes, that supports the show in a big way. It lets them know that I'm a good, good sales lady, and then they keep coming back, and then I get to keep doing the show weekly. It's a whole circle of life thing. I don't get paid, like, directly for each time you use my sponsor code, but, you know, it's just a way to let them know, hey, please come back. We love Shelby, and we love her show. Anyway, big huge thanks to this week's Patreon patrons. Thank you to Rebecca Carpenter, Jessica Monroe, and Brandy. Thanks, you guys, and welcome aboard, sending you huge hugs and lots of warmth and light and love. Remember, you can follow the show on Twitter, Tumblr, Reddit, Instagram, and Facebook. The Facebook group has been hopping. Shout out to everybody there. I I just love seeing everyone interact and talk about different things. People are posting like their favorite horror movies and this and that and their favorite horror books. And you guys are just like getting along. And seriously, like I've been in so many Facebook groups over the years for different podcasts or, you know, subsets of whatever. And there's always a lot like a lot of infighting. And so far, you guys have been just really chill and like getting along. And it's really cool. I love it. I personally spend most of my time on Reddit these days. And remember, if you have any feedback or anything you'd like to say, but you're too shy, Reddit is a more anonymous way to do it. So join the group or um, the subreddit. It's not a group. It's a subreddit. And praise me or bully me or tell me about a dream you had about me or whatever you so choose. It's the internet. It's the Wild West. Send any submissions to scareyoutosleep at gmail.com. I think that's all for now. Now, go get some sleep. Sweet dreams. Sweet dreams.